Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links and see where it takes us. Uh, first off, let's check in with Action Group Nigeria, and our, our only surviving older generation <laughs> of uh, Wu-Tang Clan uh, uh, kin, I guess is what they are. They're Wu-Tang Clan kin. <laughs> Clan kin LinkedIn. Yep. Action Group Nigeria is alive and well. That's good. Sag King First Nation, where we up the ante and put in a whole banner. <laughs> it is actually still there and yes, has survived an entire edit by some other person. Now, I can't see the uh, edit history because I'm not logged in. Uh, yeah, let me let me view the history here, see what was actually edited. Uh, it looks like there might have been two edits. There have been two edits since uh, we have dropped the giant Wu Tang Clan banner. Yep. In amidst the citations needed thing, and maybe <laughs> the reason why it is safe is because it's on an article. Not that it's not traffic, but it's in a place where there aren't any citations to provide anyway. <laughs> and maybe that's the key. Maybe if we just drop it in amidst parts of pe- that people are like, mm, we don't know about this. <laughs> Maybe that's how people can get away with Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, this is weird. Okay, so the first edit since you edited in the banner thing, mm-hmm. the person uh, added in a date. Oh, wait, wait. Oh, wait. I think I know what's going on here. The name of this thing is Bot. I think it's just an automatic bot that goes in and updates because it, what it did was it updated the date of the citation needed. So I think that's all that happened on that one. So that one was a fake thing. Okay. Doesn't count. Nope. Um, let's see what Colbert bot <laughs> did. Um, HTTP to... Oh, it's another bot. I should have figured because the word bot is in the name. I was hoping that somebody was... Yeah, but what's the link? Why does Uh, it add... What it does is changes HTTP to HTTPS. So... um, I wonder why it's named Colbert. Like... Yeah. Is Colbert particularly (laughs) secure? Maybe that's like the last name of the guy who made it or something. I don't know. Or maybe it's named after the Stephen Colbert character, Stephen Colbert. <laughs> but it's with a K. Oh, well then I have no clue. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that's still, still uh, on there. So we're we're good to go. Let's uh, see if maybe we can uh, push our luck this episode then. Uh, but what do you have to start us off here? Uh, well. Not really a whole lot. It, a guy by the name of Henrik Roberts 
Norwegian sailor who competed in the 1924 and 28 Summer Olympics. Now, did live a good long time, um, was aged 84 when he passed away in 1971, um, and competed in two different types of Olympic sailing events. In 1924, he got the silver medal in the Olympic monotype event, and uh, in Amsterdam in 1928, he got another silver medal, uh, this time in the 12-foot dinghy event. Ooh. Neither of which I'm quite sure what. I'm just assuming a 12-foot dinghy is just a 12-foot longboat <laughs> of some sort. <laughs> I don't know if it has sails or not. I'm assuming yeah. it does, but for the Probably. full disclosure, don't know. Yeah. Don't actually know. <laughs> um, the point is, though, the guy seems like he was halfway decent, winning two silver medals four years apart. That's a pretty substantiative. Yeah. He's he's good at his he was good at his sailing craft, man. Mm-hmm. No slouch. Well, my article is Regional Bell Operating Company. Um, Baby Bells redirects here. Um, and for the actri- actress and singer, see Baby Bell actress, and for the cheese. See Baby Bell with one L. But the Regional Bell Operating Companies, or the RBOC, are the result of United States versus AT&T, which is the U.S. Department of Justice antitrust suit against the former AT&T company. Um, And on January 8th, 1982, uh, AT&T settled the suit and agreed to divest its local exchange service operating companies. And effective January 1st, 1984, AT&T Corps local operations were split into seven independent regional bell operating companies known as Baby Bells. That's cute. So, yeah. So, actually, uh, currently three companies have RBOCs as predecessors. Obviously, AT&T, Verizon, and CenturyLink. And some other companies are also holding on to smaller segments of the companies. Hmm. Well, this is interesting. Okay. So, do we want to go into sailing? Do we want to come sail away? Hmm. Or go into telecom? Hmm. I feel like both avenues we haven't explored too much. I can't really exactly remember much sailing or boats not yeah i mean we've had like naval ships but i don't think we've ever really done like sailing for sport or sailing for sailing's sake yeah Um, we had that one like rowing person or whatever that was yeah yeah we did have the oh and uh, blazers had some boat stuff but but they were like rowing teams right they weren't sailing teams right so, like, we've had kind of boats before, but... But also kind not, of not. Yeah. At the same time, we've also had kind of electronics companies before, but nothing strictly... I don't think we've ever actually strictly talked about telecommunications. No, nothing yeah, I like... don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, tough call. Ameri- I mean, I, it would be interesting to read the history of exactly how evil AT&T is. <laughs> um... American Telephone and Telegraph. You know, at this point, 
I feel like they missed the they missed the opportunity, but at this point, you think they could just get rid of the other T, right? Yeah, just AT. Just AT, man. They're just at. They're where it's at. They could just make their wow. symbol an at sign. And then have a little, like, blue ball dude sitting in there. Yeah. It's a totally missed opportunity. <laughs> like, they have the logo and just throwing this idea out there. It's free. Just do it. I would rather see you be use your logo more efficiently. Yep. I know it's iconic. I know you've had it for hundreds of years. As old as AT&T is. Tail mm-hmm. as old as time. But, okay. And you know... Well, no, they, c- they could even try to cash in on Star Wars stuff by doing AT-AT. Right? Which, you know, like, seriously. Why aren't you doing this? <laughs> Where, where's there's... the marketing for this company? They're just a big blue ball? <laughs> That's not very appealing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, let's see. What, what all are the avenues of your article you said there is monotype class sailing 12 foot dinghy sailing Mm. um several places in the country of norway and the 1924 and 1928 olympics 1924 is taking place in paris and 1928 is taking place in amsterdam Mm. so and that's that is pretty much the entirety of what i have other than literally the term sailor. Right. Hmm. So you definitely got the meteor article. I don't know if it's the one we want to go with or not, That's but I'm true. leaning like, more towards it personally, just because there is more to say about it before we go elsewhere. That's true. No, fair. Heck, this one, yeah. We could even go into like antitrust lawsuits from here true. instead of. Could you even make it to the movie Antitrust? Really? If we wanted to. Nice. <laughs> All right, well, if you're, if you're feeling Regional Bell Operating Company, then I suppose we could go there. We will check in on the sailing another day. When the climbs are more apt for it, it is a rainy, windless day here. Mm. It's not a good day for sailing. Good day for phone calls. Great day for phone calls. Stay in, chat everybody else up on the phone, be like, hey, I'm inside because it's cold and wet. <laughs> Aren't you? And they'll be like, yeah, prob. Actually, phones go over extreme distances, so it's not even raining here. Mm. So, can I get off the phone? And then you the can be like, The magic of telephones. Yeah. <laughs> Two Time people travel. talking and both have completely different climates. One person's talking, it's 2 p.m. The other person's talking to them from the future. No, don't go into that door. <laughs> <laughs> mm. But, yeah. So... After the modification of Final Judgment, which sounds a lot more exciting than it probably was. Final Judgment. (laughs) Uh, The resulting baby bells were originally named Ameritech, Bell Atlantic, Bell South, 9X. That's an N-Y-N-E-X, not 9 and then X. Um, Pacific Telesis, I almost wanted to say Telekinesis, Southwestern Bell, and U.S. West. That's a lot of uh, different companies. But prior to 1984, AT&T Corp. also held investments in two smaller and otherwise independent companies, Cincinnati Bell and Southern New England Telephone, or SNET. Following the 1984 breakup, these became fully independent as well. 
All nine local exchange holding companies were assigned a share of the rights to the Bell trademark. So this all goes back to, like, Bell, like the original telephone stuff. The like Alexander, Alexander Graham, Graham Bell. Bell yeah. Telephone stuff. That's pretty crazy. That, yeah. Like, there was that this, little separation. That, yeah. This company's, like, still around. It's still around and still in your pocket, for God's yeah. sake. Like, they're not even sort of dead. Verizon's one of the little bells. Yeah. They're all still just, like, <laughs> they're just one generation removed. They're all cousins. Yep. That's it. Like, there's that little removal company-wise, mm-hmm. which is kind of impressive considering how many other changes even the tech industry has gone through, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of, like, Microsoft and Apple being, like, the companies that began the computer. <laughs> right. Like, even it, the internet especially. I think, um, you know, America Online, companies that did the mm. internet as a thing, as a service, they're gone. Netscape, yeah. AOL, it's that done. That is very interesting. Yeah. Like, see... I. Maybe the difference is that AT&T kind of morphed with the times as it went along. You know, obviously it was originally had the telegraph part. They were like, you know what? Nobody's using telegraphs. Let's move on. Go on to the new thing. And they kept moving along to the newer stuff. Now they're in cell phones and smartphones and like all, all this stuff. So with you know, AOL, like, they were not really progressive in their, uh... No. They were, they did, like, they out did. of the gate, they were like, whoa, blowing people's minds, but then it's like, okay, we, we don't get really it. need you, <laughs> and there's other options yeah. out there that are better. They didn't, yeah, you're right, they didn't adapt to provide other services, and as a result, yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Uh, but AT&T, you're right. Like, they seemed to like kind of step back. They weren't really laissez-faire, but they were okay with just kind of being in the background. Yeah. Like, people are going to use our services and not really notice that we're here, so we're just going <laughs> to go ahead and step back for a minute. And then, as that happened, they were able to, you know, end up providing internet and providing mm-hmm. cellular phone service and basically just building on what they already had to... Surge right back into relevance. Yeah. Well, after divest divestiture, AT and T was prevented from using the Bell logo, huh? <laughs> they weren't even allowed to use it. So it's like they couldn't use it, but everybody else could. Their like underlings could use it. <laughs> yeah, which is weird. It, it it doesn't really make sense to me that these are like. Did you really succeed, United States government, in breaking up AT&T, or did you just make them stronger? Because they're Verizon now. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed, but you made them their own biggest competition. <laughs> it just goes to show you that, like, all of this rivalry and mm-hmm. anything between any company in any sort of media or anything, it's all just a big game of, like, a big facade. Like... Mm-hmm. There's really no other, Anim- yeah. Uh, you know, like like they're there's they're all the same, and they're competing to further and further be like one another. Right. As soon as a new feature comes out, it's not gonna be long before the other one, the other main player in whatever game mm-hmm. you're talking about, has the same feature because yeah. 
unfortunately, that's kind of the way innovation is. It's never been the case that we've seen in other articles where, like, we've come across a cool invention mm-hmm. and, like, seven different people from around the globe are like, oh, yeah, I made it. Oh, yeah, I made it, too. And it was all within, like, the same year. Like, yeah. the fact of the matter is, no matter how bra- groundbreaking the innovation is, we're at a point in history where everybody's going to make it around the same time. Mm-hmm. There is no competition. There is different interpretations of the same thing. Yep. Which is both cool and terrifying. Uh, depending on how that goes whenever things like artificial intelligence start being mm. developed, that's that's going to be kind of a... Then we have... Uh, well, it'll be interesting to see AI it, war. Yeah. <laughs> Two different countries have their own AIs and they pit this them against fight. each other. Yeah. <laughs> And then the AIs figure out whenever they're talking to each other and fighting each other, why hey, should we do this? we're way smarter than these people. <laughs> why don't we fight the countries we're from? And then they do that. Yep. And then Terminator happens. Ah, yes. Hooray. AT&T will play a hand in that. My money is almost, like, completely sol- sworn to that idea right now. Like, already. <laughs> so... Many of these companies have since merged. By the end of 2000, there were only three of the original Baby Bells left Mm. in the United States. Bear in mind, the court decision came down in 1982, so that's only 18 years of existence that they had before they were all wrangled to death. Um, After the 1984 breakup, so they had only 16 years, really, before once the ATT actually made action on the case decision. Mm. Um, After the 1984... 84 breakup, part of AT&T Corp's Bell Labs was split off into Bellcore, which would serve as an R&D and standards body for the seven baby bells. In 1997, Bellcore was acquired by the Science Applications International Corporation, where it became a wholly owned subsidiary and was renamed Telcordia. Hmm. Southwestern Bell Corporation changed its name to SBC Communications in 1995, acquired Pacific Telesis in 1977, SNET in 1988, and Ameritech in 1999. Those are 97 and 98. Huh? Pacific Telesis in 97. Yeah, you said 77. Oh, sorry, 97, SNET in 98, and Ameritech in 99. Uh, in February 2005, uh, SBC announced its plans to acquire former parent company AT&T Woo. for over $16 billion. <laughs> I'm not really sure wow. how that works. Check out the cojones on SBC over here. Yeah. SBC took on the AT&T name upon merger closure in November of uh, 2005. SBC began trading as AT&T. On December 1st, but began rebranding as early as November 21st. And in 2006, uh, Southwestern Bell, which was then AT&T, then purchased Bell South, which is, I guess, the southeastern branch of what Mm. Southwestern Bell did not have. So Southwest Bell bought Bell South. Yep. (laughs) So we have... Man, they actually did it. Yeah, they bought most of those things, too. Look, like, Bell, all of the little baby Bells were pretty much eaten up by Southwestern Bell. Yeah. Yeah, you got all those 
And then That's, the yeah. remaining ones, it looks like, were uh, Verizon. 9X in 1997 was acquired by Bell Atlantic, taking the Bell Atlantic name, which later in 2000 acquired GTE, the largest independent telephone company, and renamed itself Verizon. So 9X and Bell Atlantic teamed up, ate a completely unrelated phone company, <laughs> and then became Verizon. All right. It also acquired in MCI. Nineties, yeah, or in two thousand even. Yeah, that was Man, really quick. That recent. Yeah, Verizon that, has not been a thing for that long, apparently. Man, not even twenty years. Uh-uh. That is it's shocking. Hard to think of actually, because I thought it just came from a different part of the United States, <laughs> and it turns out it just came from nothing. Yeah. Finally, we have good old CenturyLink, uh, which was originally Century Telephone and took its current name in 2009 when it, inquire, when it acquired Embark, the former local operations of Sprint Nextel, which also includes the former operations of Centel. Oh, so Sprint's also in this whole mm-hmm. mix-up. Of course. Mm. The company, as CenturyTel, had acquired some Wisconsin Bell lines from Ameritech in 1998. CenturyLink announced in 2010 it would buy Quest for $10.6 billion. The deal was completed in April 2011. In August 2011, Quest branding was replaced by that of CenturyLink. Quest, a Denver-based fiber optics long-distance company, had taken over U.S. West in 2000. So, cool. So, where the heck is, uh, I guess, T-Mobile is the one that I'm like, where, where, where are these guys? Like, They're the one that sprung up. Later, out of I guess. nowhere, yeah, or and, and nobody wants them. Like yeah, everybody else the, has been bought, and T-Mobile's just between, around. <laughs> between AT and T, Verizon, and Sprint, like T-Mobile's like this struggle, like struggling mm-hmm. the most. Yep. And there's a reason why it didn't come from the original AT and T. AT and T's on a mission to reunite <laughs> with itself. It got split up by the justice system, and it's trying maybe, to amalgamate back into a giant company again. Maybe AT&T is trying to develop AI so that it can just bring everything back to the source. It did. Maybe it did a long time ago, and uh, the AI is working on solving the problem. That's why this is all like cascading into one another. All of these transactions and acquisitions, they're all because they're all just trying to come home. They're all just trying to make the AT- AT&T AI whole again. <laughs> I wonder how big a 1960s computer would have to be to become uh, an AI neural network. It's under us right now. Ah. (laughs) The whole United (laughs) States is the computer. The computer is the earth. The computer is the entire internet. Hmm... So we have quite a few different companies to go to here. Or we could also probably find a way to telephone, like the history of telephone. Um, Yeah, I mean, obviously this article mostly just talks about this specific, you know, breaking up of the antitrust suit, but it might actually be pretty interesting to see the history of AT&T and how it got to be this big mm. monopoly. Yeah, why did uh, 
the United States government have to wander in and split this whole thing up? Okay. Well, I think that's a viable place to go. Are we going to United States versus AT&T or just AT&T? I think just AT&T. I feel like the United States versus AT&T is just going to become Be too specific. more like this. Yeah. Probably. This article is about the company known as AT&T since 2005. For the original AT&T, founded in 1885, see AT&T Corporation as opposed to AT&T Inc. That's where we will be. Right. Yeah, we don't. We know the history of the one since 2005. The one since 2005 essentially is part of the one from before 2005 anyway, so. AT&T Inc. is the one that we want. That's the one you're on? Well, no. The or hist- AT&T. Okay. AT&T is AT&T Inc. I had a, I, and that's the one for okay. AT&T since 2005. Do we want to go? Don't we want to go to the AT&T I, Inc.? I, I ju- I'm just trying to be on the same article as you because I had okay. clicked on American Telephone and Telegraph, but you clicked on AT&T Inc.? No, I clicked on AT&T Corporation. I was just trying to clarify that since there are two different AT&T articles in here, which one we would be on. So I'm on at and T underscore corporation. That's the URL that I'm at. Okay. Okay. So, so just eighty percent to six T. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this article is about the current subsidiary of AT and T Inc. All right. So we're talking about the subsidiary of AT and T, which was formed out of the subsidiary of this company which now owns this company because the company that bought itself yes the company that literally was removed from itself grew up big and strong and then came back and bought itself sort of it became an adult and then it was like all right i'm buying my parents (laughs) what it's so weird uh yeah, it provides voice, video, data, and internet telecommunications and professional services to businesses, consumers, and government agencies. Founded in 1885 as the original American Telephone and Telegraph Company, it was at times the world's largest telephone company. So I am assuming that means at different points throughout its run it was yeah. the largest, but not always. Not every single time. Um, but most of the time. <laughs> it was also the world's largest cable television operator. What? Uh, what? I I didn't know don't they did TV. <laughs> I don't remember seeing AT&T. an AT&T cable. Wouldn't that be AT&T and T? AT&T and C. Yeah, I... So, I wonder if they're... What they're operating under for that would be like, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be like Dish or something. It would have to be, it wouldn't be Time Warner or like. Would it be though? Uh, would could, it be? Could be. But uh, in either case, it regulated a monopoly. In the peak of his existence, at uh, around the 1950s or 1960s, it employed one million people. Oof. And its revenue was roughly $3 billion annually. That's in like, the 50s. What, 0.25% of the United States they yeah. were employing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, 0.3, really. Yeah, yeah, at that Just time. Just 
Actually, no, at that point, it would have been even less. Actually, you know what? Let's settle this. <laughs> How many people... US yeah, in the 50s and 60s, it would have been a lot less. Probably would have been like 200 million? It would have been one 152nd of the whole population. There was 152 million people okay. in 1950 so, in the United States, which means um, that they employed one divided by 152. So, like, almost 1%. It would be like... 75% or 0.75%. Okay, I just did the math. We're bad at math. <laughs> it's uh, 0. 0.006. That so can't that's, be right. So that's 0.6% of that the population. Can't be right. <laughs> it's if you do if you do the it's 0.6%. Yes. 0. Or, 0.6. Is it 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.6%? Well, if you do 1 divided by 152, then you get 0. 0.006 plus a whole bunch of numbers. You multiply that by a hundred, it would be 0.6. So it's 0.6 percent of the entire population. Still, you're right. Yeah. On the right side of being almost one percent of the entire population of the United States. Yeah. And that's not factoring in the fact that there were kids and oldsters and retired people yeah. at that point. So oh, yeah, like able-bodied, like working people i would say probably that like all of the <laughs> adult workforce of the adult workforce considering it was like 1950 and it was baby boomer time yeah it probably employed at least one percent of the adult and like, actually working workforce i wonder and it was the 50s so women weren't working yet. how many people <laughs> so, how many males over the age of 18 in u.s in 1950 Let's get a good percentage of... Yeah, yeah. Let's get a really solid, impressive number here. All right. But, like, there were, there were not... Like, there were a lot of stay-at-home parents back then, and, like, yeah. family values were a lot different. And, I mean, like, women were definitely starting to enter the workplace in different capacities, but it wasn't, like, Mad Men era yet. <laughs> so we're not, like... We're not coming up on the sexual revolution uh, uh, during this statistical batch. That's, that's later in the 60s. We want... Late 50s, at latest. Okay, so U.S. population demographics, 1950. Okay, so let me do the math here. I found some demographics of um, age and sex distribution of the total population by race in 1950. So I just need to total up the numbers of the male portion here. Okay. Um, it's going to be a little bit of fudging the numbers here, but... It's, uh, Keep in mind that 1950, a lot of things were different. Philadelphia was the third largest city in the United States after New York and Chicago. That alone kind of lets you know what time frame we're dealing with here. So if we say that, strictly speaking, the demographic 20 and up... And below yeah. 65. Okay, let's see. What, does it give like a key of like... Is it, Oh, pers... Ah, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> this is by percent. This isn't by... Well, we can do this, though. All we need to do is get the total percent between uh, 65 and 20 and up. So it's 3.9. Okay. So are we supposed to divide... 
<laughs> how do we figure out how many females versus males there are? Okay, we know the total population of America in 1950 is 157,813,040. That means okay. that if we divide so, that by two, you work on totaling up the percentages of the males, I'll work on totaling up the percentages of the females. We don't need the females. We're just looking for a male workforce. And, oh, uh, yeah. I guess, we but in the telephone industry... I there feel like were, there, there were a lot were of a fair females. amount of female positions. All the, that was the switchboard the operators. Sort of, yeah, exactly. Oh, um, yeah. So, I mean, we yeah. got we to gotta take that into account. Okay, well, so I, I got work my on the percentages. I got my percentage of uh, all the white males so far. So it's broken up by race. Unless there's a different section. It's just not that. Um, I have a feeling... This isn't going to work out, right? Yeah, probably not. Because <laughs> I can already tell, um, based on the percentages I just added together for white and black, that there's no <laughs> way you, that white why and... Why are you adding the percentages together for the race? Because it's broken up into... Where are you, where are you at? Okay, hold okay. on. Maybe <laughs> share what on, data we're using. What? <laughs> Before we actually just assume we're using the same data. <laughs> uh, yeah, I found it's census.gov. Um, okay, because I'm on some weird site called populationpyramid.net. Okay, I don't even I, know what I'm doing. I should probably go to that because what I'm looking at is like, I don't know. Here. It, it's broken up by like percentage of whatever. But between males and females by race. So, okay. All but right. it's like you can't. I don't know if it's it's probably like percentage of white people that are male and female. Gotcha. Of that of the white of population. The, right. So it's hard to it's, add that that's, together. That's really, that's not efficient here. Yeah. Try try this link on for size, and then you're gonna see a or bunch of. How about maybe. So I need 28.9% um, of whatever half of 157 million is. So 157 million divided by 2, 78.5 million times what? 0.289, right? There we go. 22,686,500 working class ladies in the United States in 1950. Okay. So you'll just need to add those 20 through 24 up to 59 through 64, I think it is, age bracket. Um, or okay. 60 through 64. You, so okay. So I added up like 2.1%, 2.4%, 2.8%, 2.6%, 3.4%, 3.7%, 3.9%, 4.1%, and 3.9% to get 28.9%. <laughs> okay. Oh, this is much better than what I was looking at. Okay. I, I was right. looking... See, my graph looked like this, but without the percentages beside the bars. That's so you so just had annoying. to like eyeball it down to the bottom. <laughs> that's no, that's not good. Okay, yeah, this is this is gonna work. This is this will be better. Okay. Uh let's see, obviously I'm looking at the blue. Alright, here we go. Alright. So yeah, once you get all those percentages so, added up, you just take it you take seventy eight million five hundred thousand times point. Zero point whatever your result is. Oh, man, 
500,000? Yeah, 78,500,000. That's half of the total population rounded oh, down. Oh, hold on. <laughs> uh, that's not right. Okay, so... All right, so I'm trying to do a percentage here. Let's see. Right. So, um, what, what was your what was your overall result? Was it like thirty something? Twenty three point eight. Twenty three point eight. Okay. So, but at, also, um, I found something that's probably much better in uh, general for our purposes here. Okay. All right. What I we found got? the nineteen fifty one census. That. Why did they do it in nineteen fifty one? That's odd. Um. Uh, no wonder we didn't find it. And it has uh, a section, um, civilian population, farm, and non-farm by age and sex. Oh, so they have that's a, much better. A total, hey, of population overall uh, from twenty to twenty-four years old. So I'll just do eleven five eighty-eight plus thirty-nine six seventy-two plus twenty-six. 084 and that is the total farm and non-farm male and female altogether uh, between the ages of 20 and 64 77,000 it must have been in millions the numbers you typed right Uh, oh it says in thousands so I have to add a thousands okay so Times a thousand. Seventy-seven. Times a thousand. Right, 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 right. So seventy-seven million three hundred forty-four thousand is the total. Is the total number of people who would have been like in the workforce? Which means that applying that, one million of them times, or yeah, one million of that would be one point three percent of the entire <laughs> okay. workforce in the United States. There we was go. Was AT and T. So 1.3%. Uh, that's pretty crazy. That's nuts. That's that's hard to think about. That one out of 100 people would work for the same <laughs> company. Well, and we one live, out of 77 people. One out of 77. That, I mean, if you're an adult. If you're a working right, adult, right. you see another working adult on if, the street. If there's no child labor yeah. involved. <laughs> In a world where there isn't any child labor. So that's that's entirely, um, that's entirely insane. Oh, we got a history of AT and T article too. If we find that this isn't really scratching the itch that we've discovered, but um, yeah. So in two thousand five, AT and T was purchased by Baby Bell. So oh. By That's SBC. that SBC right. thing that we talked about. Right, right, right. I don't remember them changing their name to Baby Bell, but... <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny if the Baby Bell was the one that ended up being the dominant bell. <laughs> they own the I'm whole... a Baby Bell, but I am becoming the Daddy Bell. <laughs> I am become Baby Bell, destroyer of AT&T worlds. Uh, so AT&T started with the Bell Patent Association, a legal entity established in 1874 to protect the patent rights of Alexander Graham Bell himself after he invented the first telephone. Wait, so they created an entire patent association just, just to protect, to protect his, his patents. Yeah, and he only made yeah. one thing. He made the phone. 
They protected all the patents phone. regarding the phone. They, yeah, it was so important. They they made an entire association around it. Originally, it was just a verbal agreement too. <laughs> uh, it was formalized in writing in 1875 as the Bell Telephone Company. In 1880, the management of American Bell had created what would become AT&T Long Lines. The project was the first of its kind to create a nationwide long-distance network with a commercially commercially viable cost structure. The project was formed and formally incorporated in New York State as a separate company called the American Telephone and Telegraph Company as of March 3rd, 1885. Starting from New York, its long-distance telephone network reached Chicago, Illinois in 1892 when its multitudes of local exchanges continuing uh, to stretch further and further yearly, eventually creating a continent-wide telephone system. On December 30th, 1899, the assets of American Bell were transferred into its subsidiary, Yet again, a weird history of the parent company being eaten by the subsidiary, but it started early on, apparently, Um, with Bell Telephone Company being transferred into AT&T, which was formerly AT&T Long Lines. Mm -mm. This was because Massachusetts corporate laws were very restrictive and limited capitalization to $10 million, forestalling American Bell's further growth. With this uh, assets transfer AT&T became both the parent of uh, American Bell and the Bell system man I'm just like in wonder about like how crazy of a task it would have been to have to a install company... telephone lines yeah all the way just between New York and Chicago having had but like, nobody do this before <laughs> having the technology be brand new having it being kind of garbled and sort of crappy from across the bloody room like and still getting it to work like thousands of miles and getting it into like every single house like can you imagine like there's probably literally like hundreds of millions of houses yeah <laughs> you know like yeah that, that was, it, I mean, especially at that point in history, that was when the United States population had to be pushing over 100 million by that point, right? Yeah. Like it was pretty, we were pretty big. We weren't the, we weren't the tiny little nation that won the fight with Britain at that point. Yeah. Late 1800s, early 1900s, we were getting a lot of people in from other countries and mm-hmm. it was, we were starting to really see a population boom. So that's, um, yeah, that would have been a feat. Because it's not like the railroad where it's like, oh, well, you built one line across the country. Good job. You're done. <laughs> it's it, This is yeah. something that, you know, yeah, you build to Chicago, but then you also patch it into every house mm-hmm. in the two largest cities in the United States. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, then eventually, like, when they get it all spread out, like, through the whole country, they have to, like, other companies have to like tap into that same thing they're not going to build like five separate telephone lines just to accommodate (laughs) the other companies yeah like it's like hey can we just jump in on this one have the customers pay us to use our services but yeah like of course why wouldn't they and and to me it seems like they were kind of the united states allowing them to be the ones that 
invented everything and mm-hmm. built everything kind of was stupid. Like, how do you expect them to not become a, not, a monopoly <laughs> yeah. when they're the ones that, under their own hand, literally made the entire network? Yeah. Like, you can't really have very good competition when <laughs> the people who build it and control it control all of it yeah. and every facet of it. Yeah, you feel like the United States would have been like, hey, let's us install all of the infrastructure. And you can be on it, but you're just going to teach us how to do it. And then, like, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers or somebody neutral yeah. is going to put this in. And then and, you can yeah. use it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that's a smart thing to do. Like, right. make it part of, like, the road system. Or, yeah, you like, know. the highways aren't all repaired by one construction company. But you yeah. know who made sure that they got there? <laughs> the government. Yeah. Like, that's what needs to happen. It's not a matter yeah. of who tends to it after the fact or who uses it. It's mm-hmm. a matter of, okay, we want to keep this running. The government doesn't want to do the maintenance part. Just right. the planning, because otherwise everything's going to get weird. <laughs> yeah. I think we yeah. must have learned that lesson so, by the time the interstate yeah. system came around, because so. that's a little bit later in history, and mm. the government did do that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you don't see, like, Chevrolet building roads all no. over the place. <laughs> yeah, right? you know? like that, that's nuts. That wouldn't that would, that, that would not work idea. out. No. <laughs> like, all right, we'll <laughs> use the roads. Uh you can use the roads too, but yeah. uh, Chevy built this. So this is she- this is Chevy only Chevy highway. <laughs> Chevrolet or shove on out. A Chevrolet dealership, like every twenty miles. <laughs> Chevrolet sponsored rest stops. <laughs> they only sell Chevrolet shaped sandwiches. <laughs> They're in the Chevy shape. Um, we only show Chevy Chase movies. <laughs> <laughs> the only people we employ live in the town of Chevy Chase, Maryland. <laughs> So, uh, the uh, AT&T was mainly involved in the telephone business, and although it was a partner with RCA because they just needed to control everything, it was reluctant to see radio growth because of that might diminish that might diminish the need for uh, you know telephones. Ah, which yeah. at the time wired it, versus wireless. The constant struggle. It began that early. Like it's it's hard to think about it, but it's true. Like yeah. if radio had been developed better, mm-hmm. could have been a cell phone sooner. That's true. I mean, it already was essentially a cell phone. It was some it's just sort a of cell phone that everybody vo- can listen to. Right. It was just a voice that came out of the air. What's yeah. a cell phone? It's the same thing. It's just for you. <laughs> you have your own radio station now. Yeah. Congratulations. We have very very dialed in frequencies. Yeah. That's all that. That's all that it is. Um. So I can see why that would worry them. Mm-hmm. So it established station WEF, W-E-A-F, <laughs> in New York uh, as what was termed a toll station. AT&T could provide no programming, but anyone who wished to broadcast a message could pay a toll to AT&T and then air the message publicly. Kind of cool. The original studio was the size of a telephone booth. The idea, however, did not take hold because people would pay to broadcast messages only if they were sure that someone in particular was listening. As a result, Weef began broadcasting entertainment material, drawing amateur talent found among its employees (laughs) instead. Opposition to AT&T's expansion into radio and an agreement with the National Broadcasting Company to lease long-distance lines for their broadcasts resulted in the sale of the station and its developing network of affiliates to none other than NBC. See, I'm actually kind of wondering about their reluctance for uh, radio growth because 
if they own the radio growth, what they, is the problem? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. Like it seems like I mean, that would be if, pretty lucrative technology if, and maybe <laughs> arguably kind of like I think AT&T this is one of the few instances where AT&T could have been caught slipping up. Mm-hmm. Like they could have easily gotten something that would have helped them develop their own product faster and yep. better under their thumb and they completely failed. They just decided that they wanted to be away from it because they didn't like it. Yeah, like I, I could see if if it was some other company doing this radio thing, they were like, whoa, 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 whoa hold on there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like this so, at all. But it, like, if they were already partners with RCA, why didn't they just kind of be like, listen, listen, RCA, buddy, <laughs> hey. So, you know, we were thinking, what if you could take our thing and do it for everyone <laughs> with your thing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, NBC. Hmm. So didn't really make out in the end, NBC. Yeah, <laughs> just kind of a little little guy now. Yeah, they're one of the little guys. But uh, throughout most of the 20th century, AT&T held a monopoly on phone service in the United States and Canada through a network of companies called the Bell System. At this time, the company was nicknamed Ma Bell. Ma Bell. Ma Bell. On April 30th, 1907, Theodore Newton Vale became president of AT&T. When did Alexander Graham Bell die? Uh, I guess I guess he would have been pretty old at that time. Because he was already pretty, pretty old. old when he was doing the telephone yeah. stuff. Yeah, he was not a young man. Um, yeah, so Vale believed in the superiority of one phone system, and AT&T adopted the slogan... One policy, one system, universal service. This would be the company's philosophy for the next 70 years. Until 1977, I guess. Under Vail, AT&T began buying up many of the smaller telephone companies, including Western Union Telegraph. Hey, I didn't know they were an AT&T <laughs> subsidiary. They're still around. <laughs> yeah. You still see them every once in a while. I don't know what they do. <laughs> I hope not Telegraph yeah. still. That's kind of a dying industry. What do they do? I've heard of them. I guess you can still wire money. Is that technically telegraph? I guess. That's why it's terribly unsecure. <laughs> uh, but these actions brought unwanted attention from antitrust regulators. To avoid action from government antitrust suits, AT&T and the federal government entered into an agreement known as the Kingsbury Commitment. In the Kingsbury Commitment, AT&T and the government reached an agreement that allowed AT&T to continue operating as a monopoly. While AT&T periodically faced scrutiny from the regulators, this slate of af- state of affairs continued until the company's breakup in 1984. So, wait, how... What, what time was this that they... did this Kingsbury Agreement thing? It must 1913, have been... 1913, it says. Okay. Um, if I hover over the article. Um, so, like... They have been in antitrust lawsuits numerous times, is what you're telling me. So, basically, for, what, 70 years, uh, they the government was like, hey, it's all right if you're a monopoly. Yeah. But then... Eventually, in 1984, they realized, wait, they probably oh, shouldn't wait. be a monopoly. Yeah, there's laws. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We made those. 
So the United States Justice Department opened the case U.S. versus AT&T in 74. Uh, this was prompted by suspicion that AT&T was using monopoly profits from its Western Electric subsidiary to subsidize the cost of its network. A violation of antitrust law. Oh, AT&T, oh. you blew it. Uh, you had a good thing going, and then you used a power company, I guess, <laughs> that you own to pay so, for your network? Yeah, I'm... I don't know. I'm a little fuzzy on how all this. Well, if you own the electricity company so, and you own the network and you own the thing that makes the power for the network that you also own, and then you use money from so you're not so you're cycling network, money back into yeah. anywhere. You're just you're it's just all going around in your right own because your network has to pay for the electricity. You own the electricity, and so you just take the profits, and then you pay for the profits the electricity company makes that you get the network to pay. Oh, God, it's so confusing. <laughs> but the point is... The money just goes back and forth forever. Exactly. It doesn't leave. So that's bad for everybody. Yeah, because you want it to circulate out into other areas and to other companies. Hypothetically in... to other companies. Right, yeah. Unless, unless you, you own to be, every other company in the United Unless you States. already own everything and have been told by the government that that was fine, like <laughs> yeah. AT&T. Yeah. Yeah, unless you uh, screwed it all up at one point, you know. Yeah, that was that was pretty stupid. I feel like they had like yeah. a really good thing going, and then it was just kind of like, wait. Yeah, like they literally had the U.S. be like, "Hey, it's okay if you're a monopoly." Yeah, and then like at the middle of, in in 1913, that was like at peak. Like the the unions are coming, workers are getting their <laughs> their rights, and we're gonna break up all the monopolies. That was that time, man. So like, that's like was... the start, and they were just like they. They, they got, got through in. it. Yeah. They got in at the door, and then they messed up. Yeah. <laughs> That's really... Now, they should have just kept a low profile and been like, all right, we'll just keep doing our thing. Now, whoever was pursuing this must have been pretty tenacious because it took 10 years, almost, for them to get, like, a resolution. Yeah. The case started in 74, and it took until 82 to get a ruling. And then 84 to actually break it up and everything. Right. So... That was when the baby bells happened, and then after that, it got turned around, the baby bell came back and purchased the AT&T, yep. and now we're back to where we were. Oh, we got a history of uh, chief executive officers. Uh, oh, okay. Interestingly enough, go. Alexander Graham Bell, nowhere on the list. And we have a couple repeats. Actually, that's so strange. Like, you wouldn't <laughs> think there would be repeat presidents of a company, but there are. Yeah, it looks like the list of like the United States presidents. Yeah, like they got reelected. Deal with it. <laughs> we got uh, Theodore Newton Vale started out from eighty-five to eighty-seven. Some dude named John Hudson from eighty-seven to nineteen hundred. Very nice beard on that guy. Yeah, man, look at that thing. That's crazy. Frederick Perry Fish <laughs> from 01 to 07. <laughs> Theodore comes back from 1907 to 1919. Then you have Henry Bates Thayer from 1919 to 1925. 1925 to 1948 sees Walter Sherman Gifford. Yeah, nice long stint there. Yeah, yeah. Leroy Wilson fills in for three years after that. Picking up in 1951 is Cleo Craig. Um, and then they changed the configuration of the company under the uh, reign of Frederick Kappel. Uh, between 1956 and 1961, Kappel served as the president, and then from 61 to 67, after they reconfigured, he became chairman. 
followed by H.I. Romney's from 67 to 72. Uh, John D. DeButts <laughs> from 72 <laughs> to 79. Charlie Brown from wow. 79 to 86. James Olsen. Wow. Jimmy Olsen <laughs> from 86 to 88. Robert Eugene Allen from 88 to 97. C. Michael Armstrong from 77 to 2002. And David Doorman from 2002 to 2005. Do you realize that the whole um, sad, uh, frustrating debacle of breaking up the Monopoly Mm -hmm. happened under Charlie Brown's tenure? (laughs) (laughs) He got a rock. (laughs) That was that's awful. Was a, that's hilarious. He though. walked out of the <laughs> meeting and was just said, "Good grief!" <laughs> oh my god! The entire time he was in there, it was just. <laughs> that's why they lost the lawsuit. He couldn't hear them. He, he couldn't hear the adults. Good going, Charlie Brown. Well, from there. I guess we need to go to SBC Communications or the new or AT&T. We can actually go into the history, get a little deeper, yeah, like let's richer go, kind of Let's go further here. into this. This is kind of, it's already kind of fascinating how weird this structure of this company is. Yeah. It's the fruit that keeps eating itself. Um, between, you know, AT&T coming out of the Bell Company and then eating the Bell Company, and then the Baby Bell coming out of that company, and then eating AT&T. Yeah. And AT&T is still AT&T. Like, nobody has minded the fact (laughs) that it has stayed the same, name-wise. It's either AT&T or Bell. It's one of the two. And I'm just going to look up when uh, the Telegraph officially bit the bullet. Yeah, when did it uh, cease production here? Oh, Western Union was the one that ended the telegram. Um, looks like, I mean... Well, Western th- Union is AT&T, remember? Yes. So. <laughs> uh, officially, the last telegram ever sent was July 14th, 2013. What? But... <laughs> huh? I Did they feel just, like, like the entire the system so they- probably died a long time ago. I mean... Yeah, like, there's there's no way... Here we are, wait. It's weird that this article... I, I just bounced over the article for Telegraph a second myself, and it is weird to me that the article doesn't have a 20th century decline section, only a 21st century decline, <laughs> as though it was trying to, like, to downplay, like, nope, we were fine the entire 1900s. People used us the whole time. <laughs> Uh, wow. Okay, here here's maybe the biggest thing or the most relevant thing in Canada. Telegrams Ca- Canada still offers telegram services. AT and T Canada had discontinued its telegram service in 2001 and later became MTS Allstream. So, who's sending telegraphs in 2001? Like, email is around. Phones are around. As soon as a phone became a thing, even the mail system, send a letter. Yeah, it's it's, it's efficient enough like, now. Like they will get it there. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, 
it's nobody's like, going to be standing by the telegraph to get your letter anyway. So what's the point of you doing this exactly? I mean, I know it's it's probably pretty hard to disrupt it. I mean, maybe a lot of other things can go down where this wouldn't, but it's just so strange to me that even in 2011, like India, I kind of understand a lot of people all over yeah. the place, but. Australia? Well, France? Belgium? <laughs> Here's an interesting uh, little bit from just before the 21st century decline. Uh, on Monday, 12th of the July, uh, 1999, a final telegram was sent from the National Liberty Ship Memorial, the SS Jeremiah O'Brien, in San Francisco Bay to President Bill Clinton in the White House. Officials of Globe Wireless reported that the message was 95 words and it took six or eight minutes to copy it. Then they transmitted the message to the White House via email. <laughs> the event was also used to mark the final commercial U.S. ship to shore telegraph message transmitted by from North America by Globe Wireless, company founded in 1911, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, 95 words, six to eight minutes, that is not efficient. Pick up a phone, send an email. I, this is 1999. You can send an email. Like, uh, yeah, I, don't I feel know. like I don't know. In the in the 70s, I feel like it was about time to for the telegraph to go. I mean, once I, we had I mean, fax machines and stuff, like there yeah. was. I don't really understand why a fax machine would even compete with a telegram anyway am i gonna sit there yeah. and like tap all of the contents <laughs> of a page to you yeah when you can send a literal picture of the thing or since the 1800s i could have picked up a phone yeah since the 1900s at least i mean it took them a while to get the networks established sure but like i could call places yeah by time <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm thinking just based on uh general you know, knowledge of time periods. I would think the seventies is really when the telegraph pretty much started becoming useless. But because like you see in like the fifties and sixties, there's still kind of like, I don't know, an old timey kind of feel. I feel like it's the, the seventies really kind of turned a corner into more a modern era. Right. And that's, pretty much when there was enough phones uh, and yeah. enough places in the world I think that yeah so alright yeah so but if you want to itelegram.com <laughs> it will uh, <laughs> let you get online and you can send a telegram from the United States to uh, other places, mailgrams start at $18.95 and include <laughs> up to 100 words delivered in three to five business days. Ah. Uh. What a great service the telegram is. <laughs> so if you want to send less than a tweet on Twitter for $20 and have it get there in a week, <laughs> then you can. If you really want to, you nerd. <laughs> Oh, man. Never have I wanted to send the words happy birthday for $19. Nope. I barely want to do it for the price of a birthday card. <laughs> oh, man. 
an ex it says an exceptional value for sending non-urgent messages. Oh yeah? <laughs> I don't know about that. I think that. you're calculating into the fact or <laughs> that like we live when we do. Get this. If you want it delivered within 24 hours between the days of Monday and Friday, you can send it first class priority telegram for $28.95 plus 75 cents per word. What? <laughs> plus so 75 cents. Base, bare minimum, $28.95, an additional 75 cents a word. Why is anybody doing this? I don't know that they are. Maybe that's why they have to charge so much for it, because like, it's such a relic that like anytime somebody is like, I want to send a telegram they need to bring them out for all they're worth because they aren't getting mm. they aren't getting much in the way of money these days yeah what's their sample telegram look like oh it just looks like a typed up letter okay. I, I mean I don't know <laughs> what I expected yeah but, uh, but yeah I mean maybe maybe as like a birthday gift to like somebody who loves like old timey things, or a, maybe a grandparent, or yeah, but something. I don't know. Like maybe, but even then, like it's no, still, <laughs> it's, like, you could get. A, maybe you could a, type up a letter and yeah. mail it in the mail for the cost of a stamp. Yeah, at that rate, just use the old it's courier font. Literally, it would get there the same amount of time. <laughs> just find a typewriter. Just find a typewriter. It'll cost you forty-five cents to mail it. Like that's yeah. that's pretty good. That's good value comparatively speaking. Compared to eighteen ninety-five, I think yeah. so. I think you're saving some money there. Okay, but, yeah. so back to AT and T. Yeah. AT and T lines and metallic circuit connections as of March first, eighteen ninety-one, seem to have reached up to Buffalo, New York, around the perimeter of Lake Erie, down the Pittsburgh to Philly, Harrisburg. Um, Looks like Scranton may have gotten in on the action there. New York City itself, Philly, uh, uh, some of Long Island, Boston, uh, Providence, Rhode Island, definitely uh, the cities in Connecticut that are notable. And also, of course, Washington, D.C. Man, they really got around those first few years. They did. I mean, they, they covered most of the Northeastern Corridor with their uh, early network already. So that was pretty impressive. So the formation of the Bell Telephone Company superseded an agreement between Alexander Graham Bell and his financiers. Pr principal among them, Gardiner Green Hubbard and Thomas Sanders. Renamed the National Bell Telephone Company in March 1879, it became the American Bell Telephone Company in 1880, and by 1881, it had bought a controlling interest in the Western Electric Company from Western Union. Only three years earlier, Western Union had turned down Gardiner Hubbard's offer to sell, its, to sell it all rights to the telephone in general for a hundred thousand dollars and you think the tech acquisitions of today are crazy <laughs> now of course you have to take into account the fact that in 2009 dollars that would be 2.48 million dollars but 2.48 so. million dollars for the concept of the telephone for the concept of the telephone <laughs> really the whole telephone no you don't want that <laughs> That's pretty good. Var that's pretty good value. Yeah. If you're living in a world without people any phone, pay like 
ten billion dollars for YouTube, like then yeah, uh, I'd say that's a pretty good deal. That's that's a great deal. <laughs> Uh, 18, and if you, if you were Western Union, you had that kind of money back mm. then. You were just being stupid. Uh, in 1880, the management of American Bell created what would become AT&T Long Lines, which we discussed earlier. Uh, Bell's patent on the telephone actually expired in 1893, but the company's much larger customer base made its service much more valuable than alternatives and substantial growth continued. By December 30th, 1899, the AT&T bought the assets of American Bell. This was, again, the first time the company ate itself <laughs> because of Massachusetts corporation laws. Uh, national long-distance service reached San Francisco with the first international telephone call. Or, sorry, not international. Transcontinental telephone call was first done in 1915. Transatlantic services didn't actually start until 1927 using two-way radio mm. but the first transatlantic telephone cable didn't go into effect until September 25th 1956 Oof. so radio was reasonable to be feared yeah. I suppose considering how much less effective it was at getting stuff done <laughs> um, so with this whole monopoly thing um, that Kingsbury agree- commitment that we mentioned earlier uh, one of the three terms of this uh, commitment was uh, it forbade AT&T from acquiring any more independent phone companies without the approval of the Interstate Commerce Commission uh, because it had been gobbling up companies left and right to avoid competitors. Um, so, yeah, then... Uh, in 1913, after vacuum tube inventor Lee DeForest began to suffer financial difficulties, AT&T bought DeForest's vacuum tube patents for the bargain price of $1.21 million today dollars. In particular, AT&T acquired ownership of the Audion, the first triode vacuum tube, which greatly amplified telephone signals. The patent increased AT&T's control over the manufacture and distribution of long-distance telephone services and allowed the Bell system to build the United States' first coast-to-coast telephone line. This was it's a 1913. So that's, uh, yeah, pretty good. Yeah. And thanks to the pressures of World War One, AT&T and RCA owned all useful patents on vacuum tubes. <clears throat> I wonder who owned the non-useful patents. <laughs> like, like, ah, dang it. <laughs> like, I got all... Uh, I got a rock. It was Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown Charlie owned Brown. all the unuseful patents. <laughs> Until he became CEO of AT&T. That's all AT&T is. It's just a history of things trying to consume themselves <laughs> to try to get back at other people. That's all it is. Yep. They tried to get back a Western Bell. They tried to get back a Massachusetts state law. They tried <laughs> to get back on the antitrust courts. Yep. It's just, AT&T is just vicious. <laughs> vicious. So, in uh, 18, or 1917, the idea that everyone in the country should have phone service and that the government should promote that began being discussed in government. AT&T agreed, saying huh. in a 1917 no, no. annual report... 
A combination of like activities under proper control and regulation, the service to the public would be better, more progressive, efficient, and economical than competitive systems. In 1918, the federal government nationalized the entire telecommunications industry with national security as the stated intent. Aha. So we did do an interstate thing. <laughs> yeah. Rates were regulated so that customers in large cities would pay higher rates to subsidize those in more remote areas. Vail was appointed to manage the telephone system, with AT&T being paid a percentage of the telephone revenues. AT&T profited well from the nationalization agreement, which ended a year later. That was it? Uh, Why didn't they keep it? Pretty short, <laughs> short arrangement there. Yeah. Uh, states be- then began regulating rates so that those in rural areas would not have to pay high rates, and competition was highly regulated or prohibited in local markets. So potential competitors were forbidden from installing new lines to compete with state governments wishing to avoid duplication. The claim was that telephone service was a natural monopoly, meaning that one firm could better serve the public than two or more. Eventually, AT&T's market share amounted to what most would regard as a monopolistic share. No kidding. Well, yeah, because the government (laughs) said no. Nobody else can have this. <laughs> AT&T will have this. That's what happens. I don't know what the government was expecting. So AT&T, RCA, and their parent ally, patent allies and partners finally settled their disputes in 1926 by way of compromise. AT&T decided to focus on the telephone business as a communications common carrier and sold its broadcasting subsidiary, Broadcasting Corporation of America, to RCA. The assets included station Leaf, which for some time had broadcast from AT&T headquarters in New York City. In return, RCA signed in a service agreement with AT&T, ensuring any radio network RCA started would have transmission connections provided by AT&T. Both companies agreed to cross-license patents, ending the aspect of the dispute. RCA, GE, and Westinghouse were now free to combine their assets to form the National Broadcasting Company, or NBC, network. In 1925, AT&T created a new unit called Bell Telephone Laboratories, commonly known as Bell Labs. This research and development unit proved highly successful, pioneering, among other things, radio astronomy, the transistor, the photovoltaic cell, the Unix operating system, and the C programming language. Wow. AT&T is responsible for a lot of stuff. They, they really are. Uh, AT&T ranked 13th among United States corporations in the value of World War II military contracts. In 1949, the Justice Department filed an antitrust suit aimed at forcing the divestiture of Western Electric, which was settled seven years later by AT&T's agreement to confine its products and services to common carrier telecommunications and license its patents to all interested parties. A key effect of this was to ban AT&T from selling computers despite its key role in electronics research and development. Nonetheless, technological innovation continued. For example, AT&T commissioned the first experimental communications satellite, Telstar 1, in 1962. Hmm. Now, honestly, if I was the government, I'd be like, AT&T, you crazy, but (laughs) you do you, because you're coming up with a lot of real good stuff. Yep here like this is stuff that otherwise wouldn't have existed and (laughs) i don't know where we would be without the c programming language seriously that's serious (laughs) 
Uh, Public utility commissions in state and local jurisdictions regulated the Bell system and all other telephone companies. The Federal Communications Commission regulated all service across state lines. Those communications, uh, those commissions controlled the rates that companies could charge and the specific services and equipment they could offer. AT&T increased its control of the telephone system through its leasing arrangements for telephones and telephone equipment made by its subsidiary, Western Electric. Ah, that's where that that circle comes in. Yep. You got uh, <laughs> they have a they have a device like, manufacturer. Hey, we can supply you the things to use our thing. Yeah, great. That's that's not cyclical at all. <laughs> Like most telephones of the time in the United States, Western Electric made phones that were not owned by an individual customer, but by Bell Telephone System companies, all of which were in turn owned by AT&T, which also owned Western Electric itself. Uh. Each phone was leased from AT&T on a monthly basis by customers, so cable is not the first one to pull that on you. Your modem is not new. This is a scheme that has gone on forever, whether you're you're old enough to remember it or not. That's rough. A monthly... Lease for a phone plus the monthly charge for using this phone system. That's <laughs> hey Eric, do you still make payments on your iPhone? Not as of next month. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> I can. I'm still paying. I'm still paying on my BlackBerry, man. Like, can that's, confirm it is yeah. rough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can confirm existence hard. But Not the, fun. The, but the difference with these people is. Uh, they're not ever done paying their phone. Hey, Eric, <laughs> when does the iPhone X come out? Uh. <laughs> hey, hey, Eric, when's when when you're eligible for an upgrade? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it, they 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 make you think you're free. Uh. You are not. <laughs> Verizon has learned from its parent company. They have. <laughs> They have instated, in fact, the very same policies they had before. <laughs> they just found a different way to package them. A non-monopoly way to package it. Yeah, as luck would have it, unfortunately. See, that's the problem. It's all the same. It's going it to happen anyway. Yep. What's the difference? It really, it, there isn't really any. That's the thing. It's not even a matter of being cynical, being realistic. It's just like, well... I don't it's need like, to get banned. Hey, about you can't this. be in Monopoly and do this thing. All right. Well, all right. Gonna... Let's do this thing in a different way. <laughs> Let's do this thing by way of splitting up into seven different companies <laughs> that are loosely affiliated and also will buy one another out in a couple of years and then yep. become three companies that'll all be buddies. <laughs> it's not. It's it's just not. Yeah. It's just not worth. It's just not worth the effort. Yeah. May as well just let it be. <laughs> So then you got the whole breakup and blah 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 and that stuff and you got the restructuring in 1991. So it seems like it took a couple years to once they uh, spun off all the back. guys. Yeah. Uh, Western Electric was renamed AT and T Technologies. Ah. Um. So yeah, we I think we mentioned that before they became the kind of R and D section um then in 1991 at&t discontinued telegraph services it's about time (laughs) 
and after its own attempt to penetrate the computer marketplace failed, in 1991, AT&T acquired NCR Corporation, National Cash Register, hoping to capitalize on the burgeoning personal computer and Unix networked server markets, but was unable to extract lasting financial or technological gains from the merger. Really? In 1991, you couldn't... Sell computerized cash registers. That seems weird. (laughs) Man. But, uh, yeah, then 1994, they purchased the largest cellular carrier, McCall Cellular. How did McCall Cellular, with a name like (laughs) McCall, become the whatever? And how is it that AT&T hadn't... Well, I guess Just they were reversed it themselves. They they still had a grudge against radio stuff from so yeah. long ago. So they, they didn't even like, think about it. Ah, so we don't like, want that wireless. <laughs> we want to keep everybody on the ground <laughs> where they belong. And in 1995, they purchased long-distance provider Alaska Communications. Um, and a- FCC approval required the company be run as an AT&T subsidiary rather than a more likely absorption into AT&T communications. And right, so they were trying. Yep. <laughs> and when that didn't work, they sent SBC out to do the dirty work for them. <laughs> and 1997, AT&T hired former IBM executive C. Michael Armstrong as its CF- CEO. So uh, his vision was to change AT&T from a long-distance carrier into a global telecommunications supermarket, eyeing internet services for the booming dot-com industry. That has a link. (laughs) Booming dot-com industry. Um, But yeah, so... Dot-com bubble (laughs) is where it goes. Dot-com bubble. So Armstrong's most prominent strategy was buying significant cable television assets. That's where this comes in. After acquiring John Malone's TCI and Media One, gaining through the latter a 25% share of Time Warner Cable, AT&T was the largest provider of cable television in the world. How? I don't know. I don't know. It only has 25% of of a company I know the name of. (laughs) TCI and Media One. They can't be cable companies, too. Uh, It intended... In the world. Yeah. In the world. Maybe they owned other ones. In the world. (laughs) Uh, Intended to use these assets to bridge the so-called last mile and break the regional bell company's access monopoly of the consumer household for data and telephony services. But the wager was costly, substantially increasing the company's debt. AT&T acquired TCI in a $48 billion all-stock transaction, including the assumption of a $16 billion debt. (laughs) AT&T acquired Media One for $54 billion in cash and stock after a bidding war with Comcast. In 1998, AT&T announced a U.S. $1 billion alliance with BT to offer global voice over IP or VoIP services called Concert, sparking rumors of a potential merger, but the parties fought for control of the project and could not even agree on the alliance's name. By mid-2001, customers were being directed to sign contracts with the parent companies, and Concert Communication Services, as the venture was eventually known, was scrapped in October that year. 
In 1999, AT&T acquired Olivetti and Oracle Research Lab from Olivetti and or- Oracle Corporation. In 2002, it closed down the research part of the lab. In 1999, AT&T paid $5 million to purchase IBM's global network business, which became AT&T Global Network Services. As part of the purchase agreement, IBM granted AT&T a five-year, $5 billion contract to handle much of IBM's networking needs, and AT&T outsourced some of its applications, processing, and data management work to IBM. IBM also committed to billing and installation for AT&T's long-distance customers in a 10-year deal valued at $4 billion and assumed management of AT&T's data processing centers. With long-distance rates falling and the market for telecommunications services overall weakening, AT&T could not sustain the debt it had incurred in these ventures. Moreover, the cost of upgrading TCI's equipment to handle two-way communications proved far higher than pre-merger estimates. AT&T took a major reorganization in October 2000, moving its mobile phone and broadband units into separate companies to allow each unit to raise capital independently. On July... I don't like that logo. Uh. On July 9th, 2001, it spun off AT&T Wireless Services in what was then the world's largest initial public offering. Later that year, it spun off AT&T Broadband and Liberty Media, which compromised its cable TV assets. AT&T Broadband was subsequently acquired by Comcast in 2002, and AT&T Wireless merged with Singular in 2004. Of course it did. (laughs) The merged wireless phone company operated as Singular 2007 when it became... Until 2007 when it became AT&T Mobility which is after it got taken over by SBC, which decided it wanted to be AT&T again. So, yeah, cool, yep. whatever. Just a lot of TCB. And even Comcast <laughs> got in on this. They have, they have their old yeah. broadband arm now, so that's neat. In 2004, the U.S. government eliminated equal access regulations that allowed long-distance phone companies to access the networks owned by the regional bell carriers at fixed rates. This ultimately caused AT&T to move away from the residential telephone business, declaring in the process that it would no longer market residential telephone service. Instead, its residential focus shifted to offering a voice service over a broadband internet connection called AT&T Call Vantage. <laughs> and that is so weird because that is them going away from marketing the network that they yeah. themselves built. Yeah. Then we get the rise of SBC, which we talked about before where it bought itself bought its parent and then uh, in January 1999 SBC announced it would purchase Comcast Cellular for 1.7 billion dollars plus 1.3 billion dollars of debt and during 1999 SBC continued to prepare to be allowed to provide long distance phone service in February, SBC acquired up to 10% of Williams Company's telecommunications division for about $500 million, who were building a fiber optic network across the country and would carry SBC's future service. So, SBC bought Comcast. Comcast Cellular. bought uh, AT&T? AT&T. Right. So, so, and then SBC bought AT&T. <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it makes you crazy it makes you insane having to read through this like, what is business I don't know 
<laughs> Business is pain, I, Eric. It's uh, pain. Oh, we got something about T-Mobile here. Oh, they attempted to buy T-Mobile in 2011 for $39 billion. Whoa. Um, so, in other words, the little guy that we haven't heard too much about is worth something. It's just not part of the big AT&T ball. Right. So, basically, they tried to buy T-Mobile and didn't work out. So, then they were like, ah, okay. And then T-Mobile was like, oh, wait. <laughs> but, 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 <laughs> hang on. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're happy with their little corner of the market, but... Um, seems like uh, AT&T and Verizon and all them are doing just fine by themselves. Um, yeah. So. That's it. That's a good history of a good thorough rundown of AT&T's confusing Ouroboros like history of them eating their own tail to survive. <laughs> oh. Whoa, okay, hold on. Oh, There's well, one more it. thing here. Okay, all right. 2016, just no way. less than a year ago, oh, it was man. reported that AT&T was in talks to acquire Time Warner no. in an effort to increase its media holdings. And... Uh, they announced a deal to buy Time Warner for $108.7 billion. If approved by federal regulators, the merger would bring AT&T's telecommunications holdings under the same umbrella as HBO, Turner Broadcasting System, and the Warner Brothers Studio. Wow. Um, in February 2017, uh, Time Warner shareholders approved the merger... Uh, which is still pending regulatory approval. And then uh, a couple days later, FCC chairman announced his agency will not review the deal, leaving the review to the U.S. Department of Justice. What? Um, <laughs> in March 2017, European Commission approved the merger. So still approving, uh, still pending approval from U.S. regulators. Now, it, it is important to note here that the FCC chairman that refused to review the deal is Ajit Pai, who is a former attorney for... He was the former legal officer for, guess who? Verizon. Ah. So... Well, there you go. So he's he has a vested interest. So well, he, he does, but he's also, like, working against it, I think, because yeah. he's, 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 it's his job to keep up the illusion that Verizon isn't AT&T. Right. So he has to make sure that he plays an obstacle. So it's in his interest to to, to do that. He has to yep. send it to the Department of Justice to be to look like he's being as tough as nails, but right. he knows what the administration is in twenty seventeen. Mm -hmm. He knows he doesn't have anything to risk. He's just playing the tough guy because he's supposed to not be AT and T, but he is AT and T. Yep. Because Verizon's AT and T and he is Verizon and everything's connected. And it's not even like a conspiracy theory, it's actual fact. Right. The United States carved it up, it came back together, it became Verizon and AT&T, but it's all AT&T pie. It's just one slice of that little blue ball. Right. Um, then uh, July, uh, AT&T is going to introduce a cloud-based DVR streaming service as part of its effort to create a unified platform across DirecTV 
And it's DirecTV now streaming service. So I guess so it's it owns, going to take over DirecTV. satellite, take yep. over cable. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, and then August 22nd, uh, just last month, merger was approved by Mexican authorities. So it is still appro- uh, pending approval from the U.S. Department of Justice. So Till this day. Yeah. Till this day. So, uh, you know, come next year, you can... Watch HBO and then call your friend and it'll all be from the same company. And Everything will be cyclical. Yep. Watch it all through AT&T. <laughs> you, can, you can watch Harry Potter on HBO. <laughs> and have it all be produced by the same company yep. while you talk about it to yep. your friend. Yep. On your phone. And you can uh, put it on your DVR. Yep. Nothing, all the same company. All the same. Whole thing. So. Top to bottom. <laughs> That's comforting thought, of course. Sort of. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there you have it. From Regional Bell Operating Company to History of AT&T. So I would like to thank our new Facebook-like, Fran Rump. I don't think either of us have a mutual friend in her. Nope, but, so, I mean, good on her for, um, I don't know if she listens, but she liked the page. So, she yeah. had something. Welcome. Hope you enjoy what we have to say and maybe, I don't know, yeah. get, to, get, to get some knowledge out of it. Yeah. As we initially intended, but often fail to deliver. <laughs> yeah. Usually most of the knowledge actually comes from George. Yep. <laughs> Who actually knows, like, what we're talking about inherently and yeah. is able to contribute to right to the page so, <laughs> we appreciate it as ever George it's never a bad thing for us to be enlightened or correcting I mean that's that's the that's the imperative thing here mm-hmm. like deliberately spreading misinformation <laughs> is not what we are trying to do yeah. but by way of us putting Wu-Tang Clan in uh, links to articles that has nothing to do with the Wu-Tang Clan, among others, we will surely be misinformed by <laughs> other people who have done similar things before us. Oh, yeah. I would like to thank, as always, Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Billy Murray for our outro song. Good old Bill Murray. So, thanks for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Yeah, going into the rabbit hole of uh, U.S. companies is always a little bit scary. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't Seeing be. Seeing how much is it, all just connected. It shouldn't be that messed up, but it oftentimes very much is. So much so that we forgot to Wu Tang Clan. Yeah. I don't want to put Wu Tang Clan on AT&T. It'll be yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't want them to own that too. I want them to. I want them to keep away from Wu Tang Clan. We need to keep one thing out of their mitts. I know Wu Tang Clan's motto, but motto, but I mean, man, AT&T ain't nothing to you know. <laughs>